Cougs house. How's it going? Welcome to Locked on Cougs, your daily podcast for all things Houston Cougars. And wait, 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 wait. We have a Locked on Cougs? Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach Parker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater came to stop by, make sure you hit that subscribe and download the podcast each day for the latest on the Cougs all year and season long. We're going to keep this thing going for a long, long time as we head into the Big 12. If you're subscribed, our show will pop up on your feed each day, so make sure to make Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Today, I'm going to take a moment to introduce myself because while we're both like the Cougs, you may not know me yet. We're going to be talking things Cougs each and every day for a long, long time. After that, we're going to get into an emotional roller coaster that was last Friday night's football game against the Memphis Tigers and wrap up with how that tumultuous victory fits into the season as a whole. First, no, I'm not a big fan of roller coasters, even if they end up in a big win like last Friday night. Uh, height, heights have never, never been my thing. But as I said, my name is Parker Ainsworth. I teach middle school history and I coach football and basketball. Yes, I was born at Houston Methodist Hospital way back in 1991. That's shortly after Andre Ware departs the NFL and shortly before UH alum Akeem Olajuwon wins his first NBA Finals a couple years later. I firmly place Houston top all lists of great sports cities in America for a number of reasons, including the culture, the sports heroes, the surviving, all of the heartbreak, and all the years, and all those kinds of things. But I'm focusing on the Cougars. I have to say this, like, air quotes, mid-major program continues to make its way to headlines over the course of my lifetime. It represents the city so well in doing so. And it's just such a proudly Houston school and team and everything about it is so proudly third ward houston i love it i love all that aspect of the u of h because it does tend to bring out the best in the city i do like to call myself a retired athlete i put that in quotes because it makes it feel like it was one of my decisions but i did get the chance to play division three football at a different school many many moons ago and i've been coaching middle school and high school football and basketball ever since i've got the sore knees to vouch for my playing career but aside from that perspective on the games for me tend to fall somewhere between that that player's perspective and the coach's perspective. Having done both at, you know, I like to think a decent level, at least put a lot of time and effort into it. I try to think and look at things with both sets of glasses on. I also tend to come across somewhat like a teacher as far as breaking things down to like the nitty gritty, itty bitty details because I, I kind of am. And further, I'm a little bit of a history teacher, if I do say so myself. And so that means I am going to be looking at things like in their historical context and kind of how do these things play out in a little bit bigger time frame. I'm going to look back at how those things continue to play out, I guess, like from many, many moons ago into today or how today could play into many, many moons from now. Another thing you'll notice about me is I often refer to college athletes as kids. Uh, frankly, catch some flack online for doing so. But I think that the thing is, to me, we can all remember being a college-aged kid and making a ton of mistakes all of the time, right? All the time, making all the mistakes all the time. And I remember getting reamed at my own practice as a freshman for jumping off sides, right? And then, you know, heads down, pounding your own helmet about it, whatever. And then after practice, you go get a late night bite to eat. And you see, or I got to see other college kids playing on national television. You know, I guess the late night Thursday night game was probably someone like in the whack or something. But he, a college freshman, jumped off sides, and like the announcers weren't like tearing into him too, too terribly much. But they were saying how he, oh, he's got to know how to do better. He's got to do better than that. And I was like, man, he's 18, 19 years old, just like I am. Give him a break. And that's kind of when things start to click is when you're a college kid relating to these college athletes, and you realize that they really are the same 18 to 24 year old kids. Now, 
they're not kids in the sense that they don't need to take responsibility for what they do and their actions and all those kinds of things. That's obviously a little bit different scenario. They're not like six. However, when it comes to like mistakes on the field in their respective sports, I, I try to remind myself that the fun of college football, the fun of college basketball, the fun of college sports is that they are college aged kids right they get to wear you know fancy uniforms the big name houston across their chest and all those kinds of things but nil money might have been a big step towards professionalism and it's a long time coming we'll have i'm sure episodes about that and talking about the ins and outs of that throughout the season shout out to houston and i the cougar nil program just launched last week but even with that level of professionalism these are still kids between 18 and 24 years old by and large and they seem to make sometimes mind-numbing mistakes because they are those kids a few more ways i want to make sure you guys get to know me a little bit better is i'm going to go through some like uh this or that's i got online so make sure you're paying attention i got favorite houston cougar football player i'm partial to case keenan greg ward they were a ton of fun i got also shout out chris gilbert who was a probably lesser statistically important receiver but chris was a receiver back in the uh case keenum days but chris and i got to coach a little bit together shout out to chris gilbert favorite cougar basketball player in the modern sense I'm probably somewhere between Armani Books or Quentin Grimes. I really, really like the smoothness Armani plays with, but Grimes is a ton of fun, too. Uh, Shout out both guys in the league right now, I guess. Obviously, Quentin Grimes is on the New York Knicks, and Armani Brooks just got signed this offseason by the Atlanta Hawks after a brief stint with the Houston Rockets and the Toronto Raptors after that. So shout out to Armani as well. I got asked where my favorite spot to watch a game was. And first of all, I assume you mean road game. Obviously, there's nothing like a college atmosphere, even in the Fertitta Center, even in the city of Houston, which seems to be a pro sports town across the rest of the country. We obviously have a very big following at the U of H. I I tend to think, aside from being there in person, like at the home stadium, I kind of like being on my couch. Is that not... That's not okay. How about favorite other place for a big game in the city of Houston? I like the big St. Arnold's Brewery when they have stuff going for the Astros and playoff games. They have all the big, big, you know, TVs and screens and this and that shot all over this, all over this like outdoor, beautiful outdoor venue. And when it hits in October, like it is right now, that's a ton of fun as well. Uh, fast hitters, chips and queso or nachos. I'm a chips and queso kind of person. Blue cheese or ranch dressing on my wings. Definitely a hardcore blue cheese person, even if that loses me some Texas points with some of you all. Uh, my hot take, I think that most of Texas would agree me on, is that beans don't belong in chili. Uh, my other hot take is that cereal is not a soup, but it is a cold stew. Pineapple does not go on pizza. But I do respect the effort. Now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit, let's focus on what we're supposed to be doing. Let's talk about the Houston Cougars who may have been playing it safe. Speaking of safe, the numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe Home Security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your security is the only thing that matters. I know because I knew Simply Safe in my own home. They protect you with cutting edge security technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. Here's why I love it. Once upon a time, I'm a big sneakers guy. We're going to know each other. I guess I should mention I'm a big, big sneakers guy. And I had a few sneakers in the trunk of my car. Frankly, I left the gym bag back there and those kinds of things. And my car got broken into. All the sneakers went out back, missing out the back. And I had to call the cops. I had a whole report, so on and so forth. It was actually right before the world shut down. If I'd had Simply Safe at that time, I'd actually would have had a camera able to watch the whole thing. And now I do have a camera watching the front of my house at all times. 24-7 monitoring agent, Simply Safe support staff, uh, you know, all kinds of things that help me and you out in protecting 
our homes. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you are signed up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Now it's it's time to break into our second segment. We're going to look at the roller coaster of emotions that came across as we watched last Friday night's football game between the Houston Cougars and the Memphis Tigers. Now I have to say that as we watched that game, I think everyone was kind of like lulling themselves to sleep for three quarters, and then boom, we had a big big fourth quarter. And so I think I'm going to start with the boom, the thing that woke us all up in the middle of the night. I say middle of the night. I guess it was was that like 10 10 o'clock? Check yeah, 10 o'clock or so on Friday night. Um, Four straight touchdowns in the fourth quarter. The Dana Holgerson offense was finally humming and clicking. For some reason, it took us that long as the Houston Cougars offensive staff to get into the two-minute drill. However, once the Cougars were in that two-minute drill, Clayton Toon looked much, much more accurate. He was throwing strikes across the field. I loved his deep out routes. He had a great, uh, it was in the red zone, he found Tank Dell on the outside, it's the southern end, or that's end zone further south of the screen. I guess technically that's his left, finding him out of bounds. I was the game-winning touchdown, went over the right pylon just, just barely. But it really just felt like Toon and the offense were clicking that much more in the fourth quarter. And while all of that is a ton of fun to talk about, we have to talk some about the big kickoff return that set the whole thing off. Because frankly, right before that, it felt like Memphis had just stabbed Houston with a dagger. Memphis ran a trick play that led to a wide receiver throwing a touchdown pass. It was one of the most impressive passes, frankly, out of either team all night long. And after that, it felt like, man, Houston's going to drop another one. We could count on being two and four. That's an awful, awful way to start the season that had so much promise coming off of the 12-2 season a year ago. And it just felt like that was going to be a real, real problem for the Cougars. And then life came back to Houston after a big, big touchdown kickoff return, and suddenly you could see there was some momentum on Houston's sidelines, right? It was 26 to 7, and that felt like it was too far away. Suddenly, 26 to 14 and playing defense is not so far away. I also want to shout out in this that the defense latched onto that momentum. I took to Twitter to talk about Nathaniel Caesar and DeAnthony Jones for their great effort in pass rushing all game long. But across the board, the linebackers and soft shell coverage, as well as the deep safeties playing the middle third, and the defense continued to bend, not break, as the fourth quarter went on. They forced the ball to the sidelines. They could attack the ball out of bounds and stop the clock. They also kept it in front of them, which meant that there was no touchdown allowed. They continued to give up field goals, but as I thought was interesting, they just traded field goals for touchdowns. Houston went into the two-minute offense themselves, an offense I think I just mentioned a second ago, but it was interesting to see how much more open some of the same simple route concepts, basic rub routes, you know, you go inside, I'm going to go 10 yards and go outside kind of stuff, all worked so much better with the tempo that there was in the two-minute drill. It was really, really impressive to see because, frankly, that's the kind of thing that you tend to see you know, football teams that are struggling like Houston has thus far not work on as much because, frankly, you've got teams that struggle like Houston has so far that feel like they have so many other holes to fill. A two-minute offense almost feels like a luxury to work on. It's like putting in a trick play on special teams. You just don't have enough gigabytes and hours in the day to work on that if you've got other things to work on in Houston and transition their offense into a hurry-up style offense really, really 
did have a very impressive last, was it, 14 and a half minutes of football. I also want to shout out, we're looking at this, like, obviously, because he takes up a lot of the coverage, Tank Dell is going to take up a lot of the headlines. Tank Dell is our, like, pro-caliber type of wideout. If you're not a Houston fan, you're listening to this for the first time. I will say that an underrated aspect of him that stuck out so, so clearly in that fourth quarter is his physical toughness he was clearly banged up he took a couple of big hits in the back and rib cage area including one like wwe sumo thing where he caught the ball and like got elevated because the tackler kind of lifted him up further off the ground as he jumped to make a catch and then he falls smack on his back and right hip uh, he's walking around gingerly the rest of the game but him being on the field even as a decoy adjusted the coverage opened other guys up and really really again propelled that two-minute offense to its impressive four consecutive touchdowns. It's also worth pointing out that like none of those touchdowns matter if the defense doesn't force field goals, and this is the conjunction of the two sets, offense and defense, working together. But the biggest moment of the night was not offense or defense. It was made in special teams. <laughs> After a couple of kicker adjustments and an awful, awful field goal right before halftime that led to those kicker adjustments, it became the kicker show when at the end of the fourth quarter with just under three minutes to go Houston attempted and successfully completed an onside kick the onside kick skies basically it hits it looks like a Memphis it might have been a Houston shoulders it shot up straight up in the air Trahan then gets himself under it and he both high points the ball but catches it securely in like a basket because he just jumped so so high above the head and shoulders of everyone else on the football field to pull in the football on this onside kick and recovering the ball down a 32 to 26 with you know just under a minute 15 to go all of a sudden that two-minute offense that's been clicking and clicking and clicking and that Memphis has just no answer for of course drives down the field and scores with like 18 seconds I think check check yeah, 18 seconds left now I, I gotta say that what's interesting with that it felt like at the time it was one of those moments where like oh but we've had too much heartbreak this season and of course 18 seconds is like enough to get three plays in a field goal and suddenly Memphis is in business however the Houston pass rush made sure that that did not happen again Nathaniel Jones or sorry Nathaniel Caesar and DeAnthony Jones got after it uh, again it was really really wildly impressive and again this is a pass rushing unit that's missing what they thought was going to be future pro Derek Parrish. Now, I don't know what Parrish's pro prospects look like following his injury, but him missing is monumental to this defense, and they're continuing to get after the quarterback anyway. They got after Memphis. Memphis had one completion, and then instead of getting up to spike the ball, they looked a little frazzled and called a timeout, and that really helped Houston because then they knew if we get a sack, this thing's over. They've got no more timeouts. They have to re-scramble and go get a spike. and So they got after him right after that, got in his face, got him on the ground, and took care of business. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily bet against the Houston Cougars, but much of America was probably betting against the Houston Cougars going to last weekend because, again, it was Memphis minus three, and, and I think that that tends to make people think that Memphis could win a close game at home, etc., right? And Houston ends up winning by one. So if you took the Cougars and the points, you won big. But if you're going to place those kinds of bets, make sure you go to BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest in player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game and team you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all sports wagering information and live betting and up-to-the-date scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your games and events, including the MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, and football. 
to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts, including your Houston Cougar games. So make sure you go to betonline.net and place some bets on your Cougs. Now, with all of that said, and while it's fun to bet on a close game for the Cougs and, you know, can they etch out that three-point difference and those kinds of things, I don't think we can just so fast jump into this idea of like, oh, well, the entire season is saved because of 15 minutes of football. I don't think that'd be fair to any aspect of the bigger picture and situation and what's going on with the Houston Cougars. And I also feel like that'd be really, really you know, easy to wipe away all of the last six games, right? They're sitting here at three and three and they have the bye week and they're going to the second half of their season, quite literally. And we can't just use the, like, the latest plays, the last plays we saw happen as a way to wash away everything that happened before then. Because frankly, Houston had played five and three quarters games of very ugly, uninspired football. So let's look at last game as a whole in this third segment and kind of figure out what happened or what what do we think went right or wrong for the Houston Cougars in the Memphis game. My first question is, after watching the two-minute drill offense, what took them so long to do it? Why do they wait to the little last minutes of the game to do this? Because we've seen Dana Holgerson's offense both at West Virginia and its first end at Houston as a coordinator and all of these different stops along the way. It always works better when it's up-tempo, when it's faster, when the reads are happening because of the pace and play of the game and those kinds of things. It just tends to work smoother. Now, obviously, Tune looked a little bit more dialed in. Fourth quarter Tune appears to be a real thing down the stretch. Uh, you know, Tank Dell, as we mentioned in the second segment, was battling through injuries and making dudes look like a lot better than they were because he's taking up you know so much of the coverage, even though he's playing hurt and all those kinds of things. However... It did take way too long, and when I was in school, we'd have called this the NASCAR package. It took way too long for Houston to get into a NASCAR type of mindset with this offense. I think we've seen in so many close games that Houston is going to be better in this NASCAR package, right? Houston's going to be better the more they speed up the flow of the game. Now, we saw this in the Memphis game, both in the fourth quarter, obviously, but also right before half, Houston sped up the pace of the game and got down within the five-yard line before kicking a field goal. That obviously did go horribly, horribly awry. We'll get into that more later this segment. But it's interesting to me that Houston doesn't implement this more often. Why doesn't Houston, like, start the third quarter, come out of halftime, and try and rush the defense, right? Say, hey, take advantage of the fact that we just made a couple of adjustments at time at halftime, came out the gates, and we're implementing them faster than you can realize what we're doing. Or in the middle of the you know first half, somewhere between the end of the first start of the second quarter, to just jump into it. And that's all to say that if you don't do this the entire football game, right? Because frankly, this Holgerson offense is made on simple reads, on if this, then that, if that, then this, and it should be run at a very, very high speed and tempo. Again, that's what West Virginia did so well. It's a run-and-gun spread type of offense that does focus some on the run game, and we'll get more into tactical stuff in the next episode. However, in this instance, from a general like fan perspective, we watch this football game like, why aren't they playing faster? It feels like they've got the guys to do it. It feels like they've got the talented wideouts to do it across the board. And even if Tank Dell has like three times the targets of anybody else, I feel like you can still find ways to get the Matthew Goldens or the Kayshawn Carter or whoever. Those guys need to get involved more 
in the game. And that happens when you speed up the defense because those guys get left open even if they don't create the same separation as Tank Dell because the defense is scrambling. And that's what this offense is supposed to do, and that's not quite what we're seeing. Now, yes, I do understand that the offense is also supposed to have Tejon Henry in the backfield, and that certainly would change things up. We have not seen Tejon in a couple weeks now, and that does shift how the offense works. Because when you think of the greatest versions of Holgerson's offenses, they spread you out and then run the football. But that's that's not what they're able to do without Tejon out. I understand that, like, you know, Clayton Toon is like his own rushing threat in a weird way. He's turned into that, but he's not getting those on designed runs. And so I, I think that the balance comes from things that were lacking without Tejon. Brandon Campbell can only do so much on his own. The other thing I think that's interesting in looking at the Houston game as a whole and not just focusing on the fourth quarter is that I think that most of us Houston folks are going to look at this game and think, man, this is a great comeback. Look at this tremendous comeback, a great one, etc. But most of the country is probably looking at this more about a Memphis collapse. They're going to identify this as a collapse on Memphis's part because they were up 26 to 7. They had just had the big dagger play. They gave up the big touchdown kickoff return. They gave up the onside kick. They gave up all the touchdowns in two minutes. They couldn't slow the game down. And then they baffled it, you know, or fumbled it there at the end with a baffling timeout call instead of a spike. And all of those things, I think, lead to most people that are not Cougs folks thinking this is a Memphis collapse. And I don't normally care at all what those people have to say, except that I think there might be something to that when I look at the whole body of Houston's season, right? When I look at the fact that they're three and three, when I look at the fact that Houston has lost several of these close games this season, those Dana mistakes in the first three quarters really did happen. This football team, again, had seven penalties for 77 yards and there were a couple penalties that were actually declined that would have also added up to probably closer to 10 because Memphis got big plays anyway and didn't take the penalty. Uh, so it did get the 26-7 to for some reason, right? Obviously, the trick play being the big, big play there at the end. Um, the funny thing about the trick play, I'm going to talk about that for a second, because had they lost this game, and they probably should have lost this game, that would have felt like a dagger. The trick play itself, I don't think you can do anything about how great a ball that was thrown, right? The Memphis wide receiver is running, and on the run, I guess he's running to his right, he launches a strike straight to the back of the end zone, just over the outstretched arm of Houston's defense, perfectly into the pocket of a sprinting wide receiver on a go route. I don't know what you can necessarily do to prevent such a perfectly thrown ball. But the entire lead up to that play, where it was very clearly a receiver moving backwards before to catch a double pass, and then he has nothing on the left side, offense's left side of the field, and has to sprint all the way back to the right side of the field around Houston defenders, right? So you can't cover someone forever. I'm not going to put this on the young man that was trying to cover him downfield, but you can make a tackle on that guy in the backfield. This isn't flag football. The guy throwing the ball is not untouchable or something like that like you can go hit that guy as he's running around trying to find someone to throw and as great as our pass rush was all night they negated the strength of that pass rush in this trick play by hitting the wide out on the far side of the field and so as i look at this i'm like yes that was a great thrown ball yes there's nothing you can do about that sometimes yes they practice to all those famous coachisms etc however the thing you can control is getting in that dude's face and making it a much, much more difficult throw, and they didn't do that. I I just feel like 
Memphis was in front of Houston for 45 minutes, and that felt much more like the norm this season, where Houston's just, oh man, here's another Houston football game. And that is the part that, while the last fourth quarter was fun, and it's a bye week, so I'm going to sit here and think about that fourth quarter all week long, I can't get into the mode where I'm just like forgetting about the previous, you know, again, five and three quarters games, because this is still the most penalized team in college football. This is still a team that had much higher hopes than 500 coming into the season. And this is still a football team that, frankly, is going into bigger and better things theoretically next season. That kind of a game doesn't happen in the Big 12 very often. I understand that like there are comebacks in the Big 12 and all those kinds of things, but 26 to 7 in the fourth quarter. Defenses are going to put their foot down a little bit differently in the, in the Big 12 next season than they are in the American this season. I'm not saying that the American is not a great conference. I, I've heard plenty of people in content creation talk about how Memphis and other Memphis folks out there are saying that they should be a Big 12 type of team as well. And they've got the football and basketball program. And frankly, that's probably why they're kind of a Houston rival these days. But what I think is interesting is that they're not. Right, Memphis is going to have to go play the well, going to have to go play the Kansas of the world. I know that's weird to say, but like Kansas is really good right now. TCU is really good right now. They're going to have to go play those people in the Big Twelve. And I understand like Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big Twelve, but if Houston wants to replace those teams, I mean, they're going to have to be able to be a more competitive team for three fourths of the game. And I don't think they can rely on collapses from the other team in the fourth quarter. But I will wrap all of that negativity up, and I don't mean to be overly negative, but if I look at the season, I was sure as heck hoping for a lot better than 3-3 three and three at this point. Frankly, I know I felt like at one point on Friday night it was going to be 2-4, and four, so I guess people should tell me, oh, you should be happy about 3-3 three and three and whatever. But when I look at the season, I was really hoping for more like 5-1, and one, split the two Big 12 games. I, would, I thought we'd beat Kansas, lose to Tech. It looks like in the inverse might should have happened. But anyway, I, I really, really thought they'd be much better at this point. And frankly... I, going into Friday, has kind of been like, man, if they play badly tonight, this is probably it for Dana. We probably need to get rid of Dana, just wait till January 1st, the $9.5 million buyout, whatever, those kinds of things, because Dana has had such inconsistency across the board. If you go back and look at his West Virginia teams, those teams were in the Big 12, and we kind of see how he navigated the competition. But then you get to Friday night, and the thing I have to say to his credit is for all the negativity I want to throw his way about, you know, how did you not get to the two-minute offense earlier? How is this continue to be the most penalized team in the football? And all these different things. Very, very, very clearly, this football team could have given up with 15 minutes to go and said, screw that guy. Why am I here? Sweating myself off right in front in Memphis and all these chaos and it's a big big heated rivalry t- feeling type of game and you know we, we sucked against Rice we sucked against Kansas we sucked, all the, I guess they sucked against Rice and won but you get my point right and instead instead of getting down and giving up those kids clearly kicked it into gear in what might have been a night to save Dana's job now I'm not saying that they necessarily did it's a long season. If they missed a bowl game, he will be in a hot seat in January. However, I do think it's worth pointing out that when the kids could have said, I can't do this anymore, this is awful, and they could have easily thrown in the towel, they did not. And that in itself, whether that's Dana's coaching or Dana's relationships or maybe Dana finding something that worked, like putting in a new kicker, going into the two-minute drill, etc. Well, I think those things maybe should have happened a little bit earlier certainly speaks to his connection with the program and that those things did happen instead of this whole this whole ship I should say sinking it really really did turn around so props to Dana for that I need to give credit where credit is due that's not the kind of thing that would happen across 
all of college football. That's certainly a very special thing that these kids did with him in mind. On tomorrow's show, uh, we will break down more of the X's nose intricacies and kind of get a little bit more nitty-gritty and into the details on Dana Holgerson's Houston Cougars and how exactly they performed on Friday night and why things looked the way that they did. However, that's all we have for today. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast right now on your favorite podcast app. You get the latest episode of Locked on Cougs as soon as it's available each day. Make sure you make us your first listen. Cougar fans and Cougar haters, make sure you make us your first listen on wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Make sure you go check on Locked on Rockets and all things Jackson Gatlin is doing also in the city of Houston to talk about Houston Rockets. They get ready for what ought to be an exciting season with a great young cast of talent. A bunch of college-age kids, actually. Kind of funny. Uh, You could also check out the Locked on Astros podcast as they get ready for what ought to be a dominant October. I'm certainly hoping for a dominant October. They get to play Seattle Mariners up first round of the playoffs. So shout out to the Locked on Astros group as well. And the Locked On Texans podcast. They get to talk about a big win with on the shoulders of Damian Pierce, who's also on my fantasy team. So make sure you go check out them at some point today. Make sure you subscribe to all your various Locked On podcasts to make sure they're your first listens each and every day. Again, thank you for stopping by Locked On Cougs. You can find me and my personal stuff to talk all things Cougs on Twitter, Instagram, all types of social media at Painsworth512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, etc. Make sure you find me there and talk all things Cougs. Thanks again for tuning in today. Can't wait to talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day and go Cougs.